some details with you as well. Uh, in case you were wondering, Kim's favorite color is red, all right? So that'll be significant here. And if anybody else red with Kim, you got that? Okay, good. You get a point. Um, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Okay, all right. How many of you said vanilla? Okay, what about chocolate chip cookie dough? Got a Another right answer, okay, just so you know. Um, Corey's favorite ice cream is mint chocolate chip, all right? Just kind of keep that if you ever need to, you know, make her happy. Um, favorite food, what's your, what's your favorite food? You know, to, to go back a few weeks, I didn't hear anyone yell out kale salad, right? Okay? If you were here when Ryan spoke, you know what that means. Uh, Jackie's favorite food is pasta, so just keep that in, in mind for her as well. Anybody agree with Jackie, you get a, a point as well. What about your favorite movie? Uh, thank you, Chris, right? Okay, so one person on staff who shall remain nameless, not me, he... He said dumb and dumber. I'll let you figure out who that, who that is, and you can judge him accordingly when he's back next week. Um, I think it would be safe to say that um, we, we all have favorites, right? And if we were to, to talk about our favorites, we could come up with a whole list of things in which we are favorite, right? Favorite things like our favorite animal, right? Or your favorite sports team, your favorite vacation spot, or your favorite song or band, all, all sorts of different things. So here's a question I want you to consider, and maybe it's one you have not yet really thought about. So I want you to think about this for a second. Who is your favorite disciple? Right? Who's your favorite disciple and why? All right, so I made a list because you're going, I only know like two of them. So I made a list. They're on the screen here. Mike, right? We've got that list. Okay, so there they are. Study them for just a second and decide. Got it? Good. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to take one minute and I'm going to time it for you. And I want you to share with the people around you your favorite disciple, and why. All right? Ready? Go. Come on, Mark, tell somebody. I'm picking on you. Matthew? All right, that'll work. All right, 12 seconds. Here's what's interesting. If I were to tell you to talk about favorite of something else, you probably could have talked a lot longer, right? Right. Your favorite disciple. Okay, how many of you picked Judas? <laughs> All right, there you go. Uh, what about Andrew? Okay, there's one. Philip? I know I've got at least one Matthew. Anybody else with Matthew? Okay, James? John? Okay, how many of you said Peter? There you go. All right. 
Now, that is not really a, a surprise. According to an, a blog written by Nathaniel Bright, if you were to rank the disciples, and since the Olympics just finished up a couple of weeks ago, and if you were to give them the medals, right, in the bronze category would be John, right? John would receive the bronze, the silver would go to James, and Peter would take the gold. Uh, the reality is that many of us are probably pretty familiar with the story of Peter. We're familiar with uh, at least certain aspects of his story, how Peter and his brother Andrew were fishermen, and they left everything on the shore to go follow Jesus, to become fishers of men. How Peter uh, seemed to be the first person to always speak up when Jesus asked a question, right? Even when sometimes maybe he shouldn't have. He should have remained silent. You probably know that it was Peter who walked on water, and then he sank. It was to Peter that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And he also said to Peter, oh, you have little faith, why do you doubt? And of course, uh, I often think of Peter where he was the one who did confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but he was also the same person who denied Jesus not once, but three times. And while all those things are recorded for us in the Scriptures, one of the things that I would suggest that, that maybe we overlook at times is the amazing connection that Jesus and Peter had, the, the connection that really changed Peter's life forever. Uh, today, we are in week three of our Lenten series. Uh, our, it's our connection series, a series in which we are looking at the scriptures to, to see how Jesus connected with a handful of people in the week leading up to his uh, death, burial, his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and, and as we look at those things, we also look at how our relationship with the Lord is impacted and how we can connect with him as well and our connections with each other. As a church, our mission is to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. And in this series, it is designed to help us do that as we march toward Easter weekend and our Friday, Good Friday service at 7 and then our two services on, on Easter Sunday where we're going to celebrate the ultimate connection that we have with Jesus uh, through what he did for us on the cross. Uh, we kicked off this series uh, looking at the extravagant love of a woman uh, as she gave to Jesus, right? As she took the alabaster jar of perfume and she broke it over Jesus' head and poured out all the contents on his head. Uh, last week, Matthew explored the connection Jesus had with Pilate. He pointed out how Pilate was the, really the only one in the narrative that pointed out that Jesus truly was innocent. And then Pilate declared himself innocent, uh, but he compared himself to the crowd instead of comparing himself to Jesus and the holiness of God that was before him. And he also pointed out how we kind of do the same thing, don't we? We compare ourselves to each other instead of comparing ourselves to the holiness of God. And when we, cons when we do compare ourselves to the holiness of God, yes, we find out that we are sinful, but we also experience his grace and his love that he pours out for us and that he desires for us to have in our life. Today, we're going to explore the connection that Jesus had uh, with Peter. And to do so, we're going to be looking at a handful of different scriptures. So I want to invite you to grab your Bible or grab a blue Bible that should be somewhere close to you, in front of you, and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, and that'll be on page 728 in one of those blue Bibles. And in this chapter, we begin to see the first aspect of Jesus' connection with Peter, and that is one of surrender. The first thing we see is one of surrender. In Luke chapter 5, we find Jesus standing by the lake uh, of Gennesaret, uh, which is also called the Sea of Galilee. 
He's teaching people as they crowd around him. And, and there's so many people that uh, they want to hear what Jesus has to say. It's very early in Jesus' public ministry. It's before he's called any of his disciples. It's, it's before we really know a whole lot about what is going on. And yet he already has this huge group of people that are following him. So many that he kind of needs to create some space between him and the crowd. And so this causes him to ask uh, Peter and Andrew, who are on the shore, mending and cleaning their nets, if, he will allow, if they will allow him to get into the boat and push away from the shore so that he can teach the people on the shore from the boat. And while I'm speculating here, I, I'd like to think that, that Peter and Andrew, who are you know, doing their thing on the shore and all these people show up, they're like, well, I, I guess we're certainly not going to get any work done with all these people walking all over our equipment, right? So we just as well load it all back in the boat and push out from the shore, and as soon as these people leave, we can finish our work. You see, they had been out uh, all night. They'd been doing their fishing thing, and they were trying to, trying to finish up for the day. But, but Jesus asked, and so he gets into the boat, and they push away, and, and Jesus begins teaching the people. And after Jesus is done teaching, Jesus says to Peter and to Andrew, hey, let's push out into the deep water and let down your nets so we can catch some fish. Now, this is where I would love, I would absolutely love to know what it was Jesus taught the people on the shore, right? Peter and Andrew, what had they been doing? I already said it, but they'd been fishing all night. We know from the text that they caught nothing. They were tired. They were probably even hungry. And yet, at least in part because of what Jesus taught the people, Peter said to Jesus, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And in doing so, Peter surrendered to Jesus. And I would suggest this is where the connection between Peter and Jesus began. It's where it was established. And after the act of surrender, what happened? Well, if you know the story, they caught fish, right? They caught a lot of fish, a catch, a catch like they had never experienced before. So many fish that they had to signal to their partners, brothers James and John, to come out and help them haul in the fish. So many fish that the boats began to sink. So many fish that it drove Peter to his knees in surrender to Jesus, crying out, I am a sinful man. And this leads to the second aspect of Jesus' connection with Peter, his calling. If you are in chapter 5 there and you look to the end of verse 10, It says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And in that moment, he established a connection between James and Peter, or Jesus and Peter, and I believe that connection was secured. Peter realized that Jesus was not simply someone to listen to as he spoke. Peter realized that that this person was someone he needed to follow. And as a result, Peter, along with Andrew and James and John, they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything. They left their boats and the nets and the supplies and their gear and boatloads of fish, literally. They left it all to respond to the calling of Jesus and they followed him. It was a calling that probably did not make a lot of sense to the people on the shore. Remember, they had already been following Jesus, right? They'd been listening to him speak and yet Jesus calls these young men to follow him. It was a calling that that probably did not make a lot of sense to the families. After all, they were supposed to take over the family business and and carry on. It was a calling that came moments after the catch of a lifetime. And if you could make that type of catch, then then you could really be set financially. Uh, You could could talk about that catch forever, right? Remember that one time that we met, right? It was all these things that they they could talk about, and they left it all. 
They left it to follow Jesus, to connect with Jesus, this, this teacher and this uh, apparent miracle worker, one, one they had just discovered and experienced. And as a result of Jesus' Jesus's calling and Peter responding to Jesus' calling, Peter began to experience things that I don't even know that he ever even dreamed possible. He saw those with leprosy healed. The blind were given sight. Paralytics walked. Lives were changed as sins were forgiven. He listened as Jesus answered questions and taught about this God that, that Peter had probably heard about his entire life. How God was concerned about all people, which means you are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You're to build your life on the strong and firm foundation. Your faith is to grow as you're connected to the vine, and you watch the faith of others grow as they encounter Jesus. Their faith grows, and and your faith grows. And, and, And I believe Peter found his faith growing in Jesus as he responded to his calling in his life. His connection with Jesus became one of inclusion. And that's the third one, inclusion. You see, Peter was one of what is often referred to as the inner three of the disciples, uh, those disciples who were closest to Jesus. Peter, James, and John, the, you know, the gold, silver, and bronze winners, according to the recorded accounts, they saw more of the miracles. They had additional conversations with Jesus. They were the ones that were there at the transfiguration. They were the ones that Jesus invited to go a little farther into the Garden of Gethsemane where they were asked to pray. These were part of the inter, inner three that Jesus relied on even more. Now, often when you see or read a list of the disciples, Peter is typically mentioned first, right? Uh, Peter's often referred to as the first among equals, right? He is, he's that guy. He's the one that, that stands above the rest. And this leads me to believe that it was a significant inclusion. And a significant inclusion was because of the connection that Peter had with Jesus. A special connection which probably led Peter to be given a significant amount of responsibility. And that's the fourth thing, responsibility. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, uh, just back a, a book there, you would find that there are a lot of people around Jesus who are wondering who Jesus is. And those people included the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as well as others. And they were trying to figure out who Jesus really is. Is he really a God? Is he a man? Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? And they wanted to try to figure out who he was with certainty so that they would know what to do with him. And I have to think that at least uh, part of their brains, if not a big part of their brains, the disciples were wondering the same thing. Who are you, Jesus, really? I mean, what is this really all about? These amazing uh, miracles you're doing and the teachings that you're giving that we don't often understand, these interactions with people that, w- that we are able to witness, what does it really mean? What are we to do with it? And who are you really? And in the middle of this chapter, Jesus turns the tables on the disciples. And in verse 13, he asked them the question, well, who do people say the Son of Man is? What are you hearing, in other words? What do people think? What are they saying? And if you think about that question that Jesus asked to the disciples, it's really a pretty easy question to answer because that's something we do, right? This is what I've heard. This is what I've been told. This is what people are saying. Uh, We do that often. We share what other people are saying and thinking. It could be what we we, we hear or read uh, on the news or in the newspaper or magazines. It could be what our teacher tells us or what our boss tells us. It could be a a tweet that we've read or a snap story. I hope I got that right, right? Is that right? I don't do those things. Somebody tell me it's right or wrong, right? 
Snapchat story. Okay, anyway, it doesn't matter. I, you get your information from lots of different sources is my only point, right? And then we relay that information. We relay what we hear. It's simply someone else's thoughts and topics or thoughts on a topic or a question at hand. Jesus asked them, hey, what are you hearing? Who do people say that I am? And they respond with, well, some people are saying that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah, and still others that you're Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter in verse 15. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And this is another one of those moments when I would have loved to have been there to see how this happened. Because we don't know how long it was between when Jesus asked the question and when the answer was given, right? We don't know if if the disciples were all like, hmm, hmm. We don't know if they were all looking at each other, wondering who was going to respond. We don't know if it was just pure silence and Jesus was in one of those Bueller, right? We don't know what kind of moment it was there. But but what we do know was that in that moment, something that could probably only be described as a revelation from God, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I would suggest this confession came at least in part due to the connection between Peter and Jesus, a connection that resulted in uh, a responsibility that Peter took on, and that responsibility manifested itself in in several different ways. For instance, Peter is credited with providing much of the testimony for the gospel of Mark, as well as the two epistles which bear his name. We see in the text here in Matthew 16 that Peter is given the keys to the kingdom and the responsibility for starting the church, a responsibility that led Peter to accept the calling of Jesus to take up his cross and follow Jesus, to the point that Peter is thought to have been crucified, but he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be killed in the same way that Jesus was killed. And so he was crucified because of his faith, because he was proclaiming the message of Jesus. And all of this was possible in Peter's life because of yet another aspect of his connection with Jesus. And that, this time it was Peter's response to grace. It was the way Peter responded to grace. If you uh, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 21, we have uh, this event recorded for us. To put these events in their proper context in in the place in the story, uh, in John chapter 21, Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, he's been resurrected. The disciples have been amazed at what they have seen. Uh, Jesus is alive. They saw him. They've they've encountered him. They've told other people about him. Other people have reports uh, of seeing Jesus. And and all this is happening, and they're excited. And, And yet, these disciples, they still don't know really what to do. They're, they're unsure of what to do, so they go back to doing what they knew to do, the thing that they were doing before they met Jesus. And for many of them, that was they went back to fishing. And so they go out on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, doing the things they had been trained to do to take over the family business. And all through the night, they caught nothing. And then a man shows up on the shore and he yells out to them, hey, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And they're like, All right. And so they cast the nets down on the right side of the boat, and when they do, they begin to catch so many fish that they're unable to haul all of the fish in. Does that sound familiar at all? It should. I think it certainly did for Peter and Andrew and for James and for John, because this is what happened the first time that they met 
Jesus. And so when John cries out, it is Jesus, guess what Peter does? Peter wastes no time. He dives in the water. He swims to shore because he needs to see Jesus. And there he discovers and experiences the love and the grace of Jesus. Jesus engages Peter in conversation. And through the course of this conversation, uh, Jesus asks Peter, not just once or twice, but three times, do you love me? And each time, Peter affirms his love for Jesus. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Love people with the love that, and the grace that I have shown to you. And that's what Peter does. Peter responds to the grace offered by Jesus. The book of Acts records for us that on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he addressed the crowd and he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, and so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the text tells us that 3,000 people responded to the faith that day. The church began and people were baptized into Christ and those who were followers of Jesus became his disciples. They were, they were truly walking with him. They began to spend time with one another. They responded to the teachings and they impacted the community around them. And while Peter continued living the rest of his life, he continually responded to that grace that Christ had given to him. And he was telling people, about Jesus. If you, if you read through the book of Acts, you discover all the messages Peter spoke and the miracles he performed, the lives he impacted, and the message that he spoke. But it wasn't the message from him, it was the message of Jesus. And he invited people to respond to the same grace that he himself had received. And as I look at the story of Peter, and we kind of step back from the story and try to get a, a bird's eye view, I really think it all circles back to where it began. And it began with Peter being willing to surrender to Jesus, a willingness to say, as Peter did out on the fishing boat, because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. So often for me, in my life of faith, that's been the case. It's it's a simple belief that because Jesus says so, I will. And sometimes that's easy, and sometimes that's really, really difficult. Sometimes it, it's the, you get in the place where you just need more information, right? Uh, I, I need to understand more. I need to see it clearly. I need to seek answers to those difficult questions. And what's amazing and beautiful all at the same time is that Jesus meets you right where you are. And he's willing to, to address your questions because he's not afraid of those. He, he's willing to, to enter into that relationship with you and, and invite you to walk with him and to encounter him and to connect with him. Because he's willing and able to connect with you. And he invites you into that relationship. And the challenge is that we've been invited to connect with him in beautiful and amazing ways. And so I ask you here this morning, where are you in your relationship with the Lord? And how are you connected to him? How are you walking with him daily in your life? Are you doing that in your life every day? Or is, or is today the day that you need to surrender to him? And maybe that's for the first time. Maybe you need to surrender and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you need to, to surrender in a way that you recommit your life to him and begin walking with him as a disciple to respond to him and his call on your life to connect with him in life and in faith, to walk in a relationship with God and experience the grace that Christ has to offer to you, knowing that you are a dearly loved child of God. 
There's nothing you can do to earn his grace and to earn his love and to earn his forgiveness. He offers it to you. He just simply says, accept it, receive it, and then take on this joyful responsibility of growing in our faith and walking with him and sharing what he has done for not only you but for us as a community of believers to share that with other people so that they can experience him as well. Living our lives in ways that honor him and bring him glory each and every day. And this morning, we want to invite you to respond to the Lord, to connect with him. And we're going to sing a song of response to the Lord this morning. And as we sing, we want to invite you to connect with him. And maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you you want someone to pray with you, or maybe you just have questions. We invite you to to respond and to to do that this morning. Uh, In just a a few moments, there's going to be members of the leadership team over here by the cross And as we sing, if you want to talk to someone, we invite you to make your way over to the cross. So stand with me. Let's sing together. Let's respond to the Lord. Let's uh, give him the glory and the honor as we seek to connect with him this morning.